With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Smack dab in the Middle East, the biblical Holy Land. Israel has occupied space in your newsfeed consistently throughout your life, but you probably never thought that it would be the focus of a surf podcast. But the truth is, the young coastal country's financial hub, Tel Aviv, sits on the Mediterranean and has had a small and passionate surfing community for nearly as long as the country has existed. Dorian Doc Paskowitz is said to have introduced surfing in Israel in 1956. The WSL now hosts a QS there. The Godowskis brothers filmed an episode of their series Down Days there back in 2015. And when anyone who's anyone in the surf business comes to town, professional surfers, industry folk, they all reach out to one man, Arthur Rajkavan. Today, he joins us to explain the role that surfing plays in Israel, how he's sharing surfing with the people, and why high-quality surfboards are the most essential ingredient to Israelis' surfing success. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Arthur Rajkavan. Back to the start off by asking you why are we doing this at eight o'clock at night even busy today yeah you know i'm a one-man show i run you know i run the shop we call clinica the clinic which is basically everything i do in my life is is under the umbrella of you know the shop and the office and this nice little space maybe it's gonna be you know 
I built my shop and thanks to COVID, you know, and the madness with surfing, I managed to build a very special room. You can see something like a private room. Oh, okay. Like a fresh batch of albums here, but it's like a it's like a little room, you know. I call it a doctor surf lounge. So I'm 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 doing I'm managing basically all my day out of this the headquarters, let's call it, but it's a shop eventually. And um I'm running my own business alone. And if I go back home, you know, it's three kids and a wife. So I got to do it here at the end of the day. I don't have workers. You know, I'm just about to get it to hire someone to, to work. It's a small business. Yeah. So uh, I can do it at the end of the day. See, I thought maybe you had gone home, put the kids to bed, like fed the kids, put them to bed. And now you finally got the only time in your life is after the kids go to bed. Yeah, well, this time I told my wife, listen, this thing is happening. And she's like, go, go. Yeah, of course. I told her about the podcast. And the little thing is, I actually started my own podcast with another friend out of a a target to kind of document the history of surfing here, you know, because there's so many beautiful stories to tell. Yeah. And uh, it's been very interesting to run our own podcast. We call it MedCast, Mediterranean Cast. Yep. And um, it's been fun. It's been a really interesting experience. We've done maybe 20, 20 something interviews. So Who do, you, do you just interview local surfers or what's the idea? Local surfers, local artists related to surfing, you know, um, directors, very well-known celebrities were connected to the surf scene and Tel Aviv lifestyle and also music. But um we're, we're really planning to grow out of it, to expand a little bit more out of the little surf realm to go interview Mediterranean surfer from surfers from Italy, from Cyprus, from Crete, because there's, you know, quite a big surf scene now all over the Mediterranean. Everybody's surfing. Yeah. And um, later on, yeah, we want to expand, you know, and interview international celebra- celebrities and slowly take it forward. But it's like a, it's it's still in the diapers, you know. Sure. Um, yeah. Do you do it in English? Well, with locals, we do it in Hebrew. Okay. But uh, if we interview anyone from abroad, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's good. It takes a lot of effort, obviously, to do the podcast, and you know, people come into it with a lot of ambition and then kind of fizzle, is what I've seen. But for somebody like you who has a retail shop, I've seen that it's been super um, important or helpful in keeping you connected with your local community. So even if people aren't purchasing product every single month, as long as they're having that touchstone with you and hearing from you periodically, then when they are ready to make a purchase, they'll make it from you because they're, you know, they feel like they have Um, rapport with you. I agree. I agree in that sense, but I got to tell you, you know, the last thing I wanted to do is commercial stuff with the surfing world. I always, you know, I was a manager of the Israeli Surfing Association when I was a student. I started surfing for peace with Dorian Pasquitz. I helped run a surf magazine in its diapers, like in the early 2000s in Israel. And it, it wasn't for the commercial reason, you know what I mean? And the same goes for the MedCast. It's, from, it's really a heartfelt kind of goal to document the whole story of the surfing scene since it started here, eventually it does help me being the source of everything and being the guy that also sells premium surfboards. They know, you know, I'm the go-to guy. And I have a Facebook page that I run. I've been running for nine years. That's how I started my business. I've been doing daily forecasts. And 
daily news from the surf world, just little, you know, news blazes and stuff, daily raffles, just to keep everybody intrigued and engaged in what I do. And then, you know, I offer the new batch of albums or cordels or whatever I get, you know, so mm -hmm. it all blends in together. But basically, I, I think myself been doing everything I can do in the surfing industry in Israel. And for the last 20 something years, it all I managed to finally put it all under one umbrella in my yeah. business and the podcast. Right. So it, yeah. it all kind of feeds itself. It feeds itself. The more it's great that the message is pure and that your intention is pure, but the more successful it is as a business, the more messaging you can do, you know, the more purity. I you agree. Can express. I agree. Um, I agree. Let's you just referenced some of your backstory, but let's definitely get into it. Uh, when yeah. did you discover surfing? How old were you? Well, I was it was kind of served to me on a on a silver platter. Was it? <laughs> I grew up at Hilton Beach, like a walking distance from Hilton Beach in the mid 80s. I was born 1979, 4th of July. Wow. And yeah. And my neighbors Everything around me, that whole scene in the mid 80s when I was, I had a little bit of awareness to myself. My brother was surfing already, my neighbors were surfing, and the whole scene was revolving around the surf skate lifestyle. And it all centered back then out of Hilton Beach. Let's compare it to Huntington Beach mid 80s. You know, the brands, gotcha, you know, everything that, that happened then. We had a copy kind of scene with local brands, local surfers, local skaters that kind of lived that exact California lifestyle. And I grew up watching it. So it was a very, very natural thing for me to just go out to the water, start pushing on my skateboard. And it was not any different to any California kid growing up in the mid 80s. Where did you, what surfboards were accessible to you in Israel at that time? Um, back then, it was the local shaper near Top uh, Intersurf Surfboards. He's the first shaper of Israel. And the interesting story is that his father, Topsy Kantsapolsky, was given, he was given the first surfboard to by Doc. Doc Pasquitz, who came to Israel in 1956. Topsy Kantsapolsky was the lifeguard at the Frischman Beach Tower where Daw came in and started surfing. Wow. So that's how it all started. And and so he was my first shaper later on, my sponsor. And uh, yeah, that's how that's how it uh, evolved. And he was the local shaper. There were two big shapers. It was InterSurf and Ultrawave. Yep. And they pretty much dominated the scene in the 80s. There were there was no not not too many imports, maybe a bit of town and countries from South Africa okay. back then. But it was all local made. You talked about the influence from California and you being aware of it. How were you aware of it? Did you guys have surf magazines? Well, uh, it is interesting when uh, I remember the first movie I saw was Wave Warriors 3. Mm. And still, I have to say until today, you know, Archie is my biggest inspiration and that movie and everything that, you know, the Fletcher family did is still, I think, is a very important, you know, uh, milestone in the surfing world and in our scene specifically. But, um, yes, when a guy would come in with a surf magazine, he would, like, be, everybody would be around him. And 
we would copy, you know, one guy would bring the original Wave Warriors, we would copy in VCR machines, you know? Yeah. So, um, and it would be just once in a while. It, it's not that we had a, in the mid late eighties that we would have a constant flow of information. Every, yeah. well, it was, I think it was the same everywhere, but you know, California being the center of it for us, if a guy would come out with a new gotcha t-shirt, he would be the king. <laughs> wow. So were you those know, just yeah. tourists that happened to be passing through that would bring that stuff? Tourists, kids who dads were pilots, you know, okay. well-to-do friends, not too many of them. Because back then, Tel Aviv wasn't the richest city in the world, which was yeah. just declared, sadly, a few, the most expensive city in the world, I'm sorry. Back then, Tel Aviv was nothing. It was a beautiful little town on the beach. <clears throat> so... um if somebody would bring some kind of piece of information, we would sit on it for, you know, till the next thing would come. Right. Um, yeah. To back up a tiny bit, I know that Dorian Paskowitz's story has been documented in a lot of different places, but I would love to just hear your telling of it. Um, so he showed up with a surfboard. There was a lifeguard on the beach and that was the first seed that germinated or how did it go from there? I want to tell you something about Doc, and uh, I got to say, he, he was very close to me, very dear to me, and um, he was such a modest person that he would tell me every every time people would ask him to tell the story, and I was there, he would tell me in my ear, I wasn't the first guy. There, are, there were a few Aussies before me. He was so modest, he wouldn't want to admit it. Wow. But was he the first guy? We don't know of any Aussies. Okay. He was the first guy. Okay. So the story is again, Doc, and this is what nobody really, I, I don't think nobody really talked about. He was a very strong Jewish doctor and a surfer back in the days of the Holocaust. He was also a soldier. And he lived with the guilt of not helping his people. So he decided to go on in 1956 to go and join the second war since the country was formed. The first war was the Liberation War in 1948 and then 56 came. He wanted to join the army. And since then, his way, besides the story how surfing started, he nurtured surfing as a baby beyond his love to Israel and Zionism and patriotism and all that, he was living, he was waking up every morning with the guilt that he didn't do anything to help his fellow Jews during the Holocaust. This is, this is something that he didn't share with too many people. He didn't share it with me. We just, you know, I talked it out of him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we spent many, many good days together doing so many special things here. Beautiful things. That's fascinating. So yeah. uh, did he spend a year there in 1956? So back to the story. He came to uh, join the war. He wanted to uh, be a paratrooper. And he wanted to, he went into an interview in the army. And eventually the, the person, the officer that interviewed him told him, well, if you think you want to play John Wayne, this is not here. 
he got, you know, they rolled it out, they rolled him out and he got very pissed that he couldn't do anything still. So he just went surfing. And he went to Frischman Beach, which is about, the Tel Aviv stretch is a very short, about, I would say, six mile stretch. Okay. Okay. It's, but it's not the seven mile miracle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so he just went down to Frischman Beach, which, which is about from where I where I'm from where I'm sitting is about half a mile. Just went out surfing, and he instantly became the hero, because back then Frischman Beach was the center of beach life in Tel Aviv. And the two lifeguards who were actually they were surfing, they were surfing the original stand-up paddleboard, the big. You know those big fiberglass stand-up, like big, big, big stand-up boards? Yeah. So that's what they, they're using it till this day, by the way. Okay. It's a it's the biggest surfboard you can just imagine made out of straight fiberglass. And they were catching that's waves how, on them? Yeah. They were riding big waves. They still do it till this day. Wow. Big waves. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, later on, I'll send you some videos of my friend's lifeguards doing stuff you won't believe. <clears throat> so... Um, Doc went out, caught a few waves, and these two guys, Shaul Zinner and Topsy Kantsapolsky, come there and tell him, bring us the board. We want to try it. So they tried it. And straight, you know, they already had the, you know, they were lifeguards, very fit. And they caught the first wave and stood up. And it was a miracle. Here's surfing to Israel. And since then, the scene didn't really catch up. There were a few guys trying to get a board from somewhere. Doc went back to California about six months later, and sent six boards back to Israel. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. That's how it started. And you know what's interesting? I think it was, I'm not sure because I'm not that familiar. I know a little bit about surfing in Europe. I think it's before surfing started in Europe. Wow. Okay. I so you know, with, not, with inner surf and ultra wave, um, were, how did they get materials were they just importing from clark foam and kind of the brands and places that we know of okay it's interesting it's actually an interesting story because there's two uh there were two approaches here intersurf wanted to do everything locally and ultrawave wanted to import clark foam so intersurf you know in the early 70s they you know they tried to do boards from you remember back in the day there were when you put flowers you have that foam the green foam Mm-hmm. So they tried to make boards out of it. Wow. Yeah, I don't even yeah, know but, what type of foam that is, but it's terrible. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, they sunk the boards. <laughs> it's it's um, really, really delicate, first of all. And then secondly, it's not strong. Like you can't, even if you put a uh, fiberglass around it. Was like it, it's gonna it, yeah, it was like totally. a sponge. It was like a sponge. Anyway, so the, the, the interesting story, that's like a little insider story because ultrawave and intersurf musa and near the sons of the lifeguards they were the best friends and they wanted to start together wow. musa said let's import near the son of topsy let's sit that said let's do local so they split and that's how ultrawave and intersurf were born like two different factories one year after the other musa so they, ultrawave they, he started shaping from his lifeguard tower in the late 70s Wow. And Nier and his dad Popsy, the, the original uh, lifeguard, shaped out of uh, out of the house, right here, like very close to where we are right now. 
And did they ultimately end up importing as well, or were they able to develop? Of their course, own film? yes, yeah, 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 everything. Yeah. The whole of the whole of the Israeli industry is is set up on importing loads of so much, you know, the, the gear to build a board, and it's mainly from uh, mainly from us. Well, Intersurface importing Bennett foam, yeah, from Australia, and Musa. Uh, Ultrawave did Clark from till it collapsed and then it turned into uh, US blanks. Right. Does that um, make the surfboards a lot more expensive? Yes, of course. Of course, it makes them much more expensive because you have to import all the all the materials. Right. If it would I guess be- a lot of a lot of countries have to import materials, but where there is established surfing cultures, they can uh, import large enough quantities to bring the pricing down. So I could see that being a hurdle in the beginning, certainly in the seventies and eighties, where it's like, you don't have that big of a community to justify buying a container of foam. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I remember I re I always wanted to work for InterSurf when I was really, really young, but once summer is over, they fire everyone and just near and his partner stay at the factory and work because there's nothing. There's about maybe 3,000 surfers in Israel all over the coast until it started blowing up, you know, let's say mid-2000s, you know, and so on. And till this day, you know, the, the COVID uh, madness. Yeah. So I don't want to rush past it. You Feel free to fill in any of the gaps. But essentially, you worked as a sales rep and you worked for a magazine um, kind of getting your feet wet in the surf industry before you founded Clinica. Is that correct? Yes. I, well, shortly, yeah, I was, uh, I worked at all the surf shops when I was, you know, a young little surf rat. And then I worked for InterSurf, also for Ultrawave later on. And finally, when I was, uh, when I finalized my uh, studies doing my, when I graduated out of my MBA, I worked a little bit with my family in the wine business just to get out of that little pool of surfing and do other stuff. Of course, I I kept doing surfing for peace with Doc. We'll talk about it just a bit later. And um, I did the surf magazine and I would do surf contests. I would commentate and organize surf and skate contests throughout the time. But I think that my biggest leap was when uh, a very close friend of mine the guy that started, he formed a very known brand in Israel called Gazoz that kind of copied the lifestyle of Gacha. He he became a very well-to-do person in Europe and he had a big te- textile company and he bought Gacha Europe. Okay. So he told me when I was working for my family, he said, look, look I got the license. Let's get this going. Let's revive the story. It was 2008. Let's restart the story of the fishman. And um, I told him, well, only one deal. What do we do when we have waves? He says, when there's waves, we go surf. <laughs> so I went on to a dream job of, you know, a little kid growing up in the little Israeli surf scene, managing Gotcha Europe. And wow. we, we tried to revive the brand after Quicksilver dropped it. So I... By a way of chance, I got in touch with uh, Richard Marsh, Dog Marsh. Yeah. 
a legendary surfer who I really admired back then. And I found him, uh, him and Matt Griggs coaching surfers in the coast of Tel Aviv. And I told him, listen, I got on Gotcha. Come work with me. Be my team manager. I said, let's do it. Wow. And then we got Micro Hall and Adrian Toyon slowly. And we slowly revived the brand. And it, we held it for, kind of, for about four years till 2012. And then uh, Simon, my former boss, and he's a very well surfer, he's a very good surfer as well. He sold out his old company to a huge Chinese conglomerate and we said goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was the most amazing experience I could have. I, I would never imagine I would be, you know, traveling across Europe, selling gotcha, doing contests, hanging out with all, you know, the most amazing people I grew up, you know, admiring. And so it I'm was sure a very other, big leap for me. I was wondering, or I would think that you would develop other job opportunities from there to go work in Europe elsewhere. What brought you back home? It's, it's a funny thing is that, um, well, I actually worked out of Tel Aviv. I didn't live in Europe. Okay. And um, for some reason, I, I always wanted to do something that would be under one umbrella. And I, I acquired slowly all of my life, I acquired so many little, let's say, uh, skills in skate contests. I was also, for a while, I was a skateboarding champion in Israel. It was a very big passion for me as well. So I was very involved in that scene as well. So I wanted to create a little house that brings all the best in our world under one little umbrella. So it's productions, quality content, keeping the heritage alive and bringing the best equipment possible that till that day in Israel, and we're talking about 2012, 13, there was import already. You had spider surfboards from South Africa. You had JS surfboards, a few of them. Almeric was killing it. Channel Islands was killing the market. It was handled beautifully by a guy in the south of uh, Israel. He was selling all over the coast. And it slowly started. So I told myself, if this guy is doing a good job, this is the time to bring out the special guys. You know, Doc Surfboards, Maurice Skoll, Cordell, you know, those beautiful little rock stars from California and from other countries that, you know, I grew up admiring but people still don't really know but now the awareness is slowly developing and people understand there's more than just almeric so slowly that's what i started i i, I will, i'll never forget my first my first order was 12 boards from cordell and 100 prads from astrodeck and i freaked out when i got it so shit who's gonna buy it yeah <laughs> but um yeah, it's a beautiful story. I, I still can't believe I'm sitting here like nine years after Well, with all these boards around me. What is your um, fascination with Cordell or where did that develop? It's actually Cordell and Doc together because if you remember at the end of the 90s, they were this, like the rising stars yeah. for me. They were the rising stars. I remember coming back from a trip. I, first of all, my love to California is infinite and I would I think I'm traveling there for like since 97, almost, almost every year. Okay. And coming back from a trip in Costa Rica and Panama, I stopped by in California. I went into Solana beach to surf ride and there's a hall. There's 
on the right side of the hole, Cordell's on the left side of the hole, Doc's. So since then, it stuck with me. And, you know, back in the late, late 90s, I didn't have so much money to come in and buy a few boards. I actually bought one board. No, I bought two boards. And I partnered with my friend. We bought one dock and one Cordell together. And we rode them together. We swapped all the time. Amazing. So this is the story for me. Like, specifically with dock and Cordell's. Like, it's something before the times change. And, you know, today, today it's, it's all different. So these are like the first guys for me. I, I'm glad to see it. It's just a name that I don't hear very often outside of my local community. Like Cordell is from my backyard. I used to see him surfing in Newport beach all the time mm -hmm. when I was a kid. And he was, um, you know, he was a local kind of icon. See him surfing lowers all the time, always going left at lowers, always leashless. The king, the king of the lowers left. Totally. <laughs> and always leashless, you know? And I was just like, that guy's crazy because he'll lose his board on the rocks, you know, um, <laughs> guys would go leashless on long boards, but not necessarily on short boards at lowers. And he's still around and he's still shaping boards, but you don't really hear certainly not international dealers talking about his boards very often. So I was glad to see that you've supported him throughout all of that. Um, and that his boards have done well for you. Um, so, you're, so tell me about the name Clinica and you're kind of explaining that basically it started with surfboards specifically. Is that correct? Yes, 100%. Okay. So first of all, Clinica in Hebrew, you say Clinica like a clinic. Right. It's a clinic. And it's all that game of, you know, um, when, you know, I, I think that I'll take pride in, you know, I think I'm very, very skilled in matching a board to a surfer because I really try to analyze him psychologically and having worked for so in so many places I truly understand that little art of what the guy actually really needs not what he wants right. but not what he thinks he wants what he needs and um, and when you say surf when the guy put on a clinic and we're all have the bug of surfing and you know doc has the brand surf prescriptions with the disease and the illness and the cure and the you know so it's just like a little game my 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 company name is is actually dr surf so it's all that little realm of you know call it medications and i wanted you know when i was trying to refer to create somewhat of a brand, I wanted to be a bit less understood and to ask people, well, what Clinica K? Why is it K and not a C? And, you know, so it's just a game of, let's say, branding a little bit and kind of thinking deeper yeah. what we're doing here and yeah. to represent to really what I understand and love. And yeah, I really wanted to focus on equipment, elite equipment, working with special shapers from the top and from the less known that I really, really appreciated. And I also, you know, the board that changed my life was a Timmy Patterson that I bought from Archie in Lowers in 1998 or 99 or something. It really changed my perspective on, on boards because I was writing only local boards made in Israel. Did you, you said you bought it from Archie at Lowers. Did you buy it off the beach? How did that happen? Well, well, 
like I said, truly till this day, Archie's my biggest inspiration in surfing. And uh, I'm in the water and he's suddenly he's there, you know. I freaked out and I actually went in to watch him surfing. I just wanted, I sat down and watched. And when he came back in, I called him and I told him, hey, what's up? I, I was kind of, I was mumbling. And he said, what, you want to fight? <laughs> he was joking. And uh, I told him, no, I just, I really, really, really want to buy your board. He said, yeah, here's my number. Come pick it up from my place. He was living in Costa Mesa back then. Yep. So the day after I drove them and he gave me the most amazing hospitality. It was such a modest, sweet, nice. He took me out for breakfast and I was, it was beautiful. And I bought that famous triple winger swallowtail, Timmy Patterson. And it, it changed my surfing forever. For and it changed surfing? my perception. What's that? What did it do for your surfing? They called me a skater till that moment because I feel like the, the the shapes of the boards I was riding, they were more standard, like little short board stick, like everybody was riding those narrow, super rockered outboards. And all of a sudden, I, I took out a bit of a flatter kind of board, a bit shorter, with the triple winger and swallowtail. It it let me loosen up my my tail when I flow on the on the wave, and it really helped my rail surfing. The more, the more important is it let me understand what I do because I never really understood what I do on the board. And I think I surf pretty good and I was sponsored and I was competing and all that. But the, the, the awareness of surfing and professional surfing back at the late 90s in Israel was a, at a very low stage of understanding on what we do on the wave and what kind of equipment we actually need on the wave and not follow the trend and not follow what Kelly Slater said. Because he was the god back then. Till the end of the 90s, everything he would do, the whole of the world would copy. The shapers, the magazines, everything. And then everything exploded. I, I can't, you know, I understood things yeah. all of a sudden. <clears throat> and, and the quality of the board, I wrote it for two years. Wow. It never broke. I, I have it till this day. Have you ever told Timmy Patterson this story? Of course. Of course. When I met him, when I met okay. Timmy, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really, it's important. The Digital Vans Triple Crown of Surfing has returned to the North Shore December 21st through January 21st. So we are right in the thick of it. It's, of course, taking place at the three historic surf venues, the Vans Hawaiian Pro at Haleiwa, the Vans World Cup of Surfing at Sunset Beach, and the Vans Pipe Masters at the Banzai. Individual event titles will be awarded, and then there's also overall series champions. Submissions are now live. They're being updated daily. The waves are actually pumping. I highly suggest that you go over to VansTripleCrownOfSurfing.com and follow along on Instagram at VansTripleCrownOfSurf. It is a fantastic way to not get weekly updates of what's going on in the North Shore, but daily, every single day, these submissions are coming in. So you could see who was shredding at each of those three venues. And uh, spoiler alert, John John was the one who was shredding. So go check it out now, VansTripleCrownOfSurfing.com. Also, Vans is super excited to be partnered with a nonprofit organization founded in 2008 by pro surfer Dwayne DeSoto, Nakama Kai. Nakama Kai has a real simple and pure focus. 
to teach the Keiki ocean safety, conservation, stewardship, and just share a little bit of that ancestral knowledge to strengthen their connection to the ocean and community. The mission is really to empower the children to connect with the Kai and the Aina, the ocean and the land, to nurture a deeper sense of aloha and kuleana for the natural environment and themselves. Vans first started working with Nakamakai back in 2018 for the Stoke Arama event on the west side of Oahu. And since then, really organically, the brand's relationship with Dwayne DeSoto and the work he's doing with Nakamakai has continued to flourish. And Vans actually now sponsors Dwayne's daughter, Pua DeSoto, who's actually a news anchor over on Stab Magazine's The Pickup series that they're doing. So you could check her out there, follow her on Instagram. She's completely shredding as well. And of course, follow everything on VansTripleCrownOfSurfing.com and learn more at Nakamakai.org. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So what happened with those first 12 Cordells that you brought in? Oh, I sold them straight away. And, you know, you know, the thing is, I've been in the business all my life. So, you know, had, I already had the Facebook page. People knew and people knew Cordell. They knew the name and the, 
you know, in the relatively local scene around me because they're, you know, surfers travel. I wouldn't say all of Israel knew, but I would say 500 surfers throughout the coast knew about it and they knew that I brought it. I sold them within a month, a month and a half, and then I ordered another 20 and then it started rolling. And I was working actually out of my shed. I had a little Facebook page and a five square meter shed with a few AstroDeck pads sticking and uh, the Cordell boards. And luckily enough, it, it rolled fast enough for me to grow out, out of that little shed. And my good friend uh, in France, his name is uh, Herve. He was the distributor of Creatures of Leisure and he convinced me to get the brand. And this made me move out and actually hire a place and be serious about, about what I do. Because, you know, that's Creatures Leisure is so much equipment you need to store it, present it, do it proper, not just a shed with a few boards. And it started rolling from there. And today I'm sitting, you know, I work with, I'm, I'm, it's unbelievable how fortunate I am. I'm looking at beautiful Russell surfboards here. The most amazing album batch I've, I've ever had. I just got it last week. The Coral from Hawaii, Doc Surfprescriptions, Cordell's, and uh, JS. JS is another account I got about two years ago, just a month before COVID started. And uh, and Maurice Skoll. That's a good and plan. then, yeah, and then I started working with Cat Surf and Icer Sweatsuits, which is the best neoprene known to man. And uh, Green Fix Sweat uh, Organic Wax from France. And have you heard about Cream from Robbie Page? Yeah, I've seen him. Seen it on the internet. Yeah, so so I hosted Asher Pacey here. Just Asher left ten days before COVID. I think Asher was the left last one to leave Israel. Wow! So he introduced me to the wax, and we had a great experience here. We had true fun. He left, and he showed me photos from the airport. Like when he's going through, there's no one there. Right. Yeah, he left on March sixth. Okay, crazy. Yeah. So the um. I want you to expand on it a little bit. The asking you about what happened with those 12 Cordells. I am thinking like how much awareness does the local surf community have of surf culture outside? And are there other surf shops around? Do they have access to brands or were they craving certain brands? Like, cause on your website, I saw that you had former product Dane Reynolds. Oh, brand. I just started. Yes. I just started with former. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that's, um, I, I know a lot of shops in Southern California that don't carry former, you know, so it's very kind of, uh, you're kind of a pioneer <laughs> that stuff's available through their website, but carrying it as a retailer, you would be among the first. So are there, um, is there a demand for kind of these smaller brands from the local surf community that they can't get fulfilled through other retailers? This is, first of all, I, it's my, it's my problem. It's my own problem. I love what is under under the ground. Got it. I love finding it. I love being that first guy. And I and I don't have a I have the patience of waiting it out. There's about when I brought former, I know it's not gonna blow up that fast. But I know it's going to blow up. I know how Craig and Dane and Austin and Dylan Bless's soul, how they started it, and it's such an original story. 
and this is how the surfing and skating skateboarding industry started with true surfers and skaters managing their kind of lifestyle and trying to present it the proper way and i'm i'm fortunate to have met craig and when he was here in 2014 doing a stab uh trip yeah and since then we were in touch and he helped me connect slowly and then uh, other friends pat patrick von lloyd if you know and andy miyoshi got in and they got in touch with me former uh volcom uh oh yeah yeah executives they got in touch with me with me out of nowhere and they offered me simple and they also said they have former and i was freaking out i want former yeah i know it's going to do well and it really represents what i believe in yeah so i'm i'm very fortunate to have them back me up and i've been working with them for about a year and yes still there's not much demand but just for in the core of the core there's a few guys that come in and buy it right and, and i'm happy like, with it like those 12 cordels and then the 20 it probably feels like a huge financial commitment and but you're right there's 500 people who know and so 12 is actually can't even fulfill the full demand if those people actually know that you have it it's just communicating to your local community that you have it i suppose and with cordell today the name is known throughout the country i i think i sold about the last 9 years 500 600 yeah. cordells yeah. you know I love him. I love working with him. I love riding his boards. He's a great shaper. And I uh, wish he could, you know, do better for for himself self commercially, but you know, I there's a certain extent to what I can do to help him, you know. Yeah, sure. Um Yeah. Let, tell me about the local um professional surfing community. I know you had a surfer in the Olympics or Israel had a surfer in the Olympics this past year. Um tell me about her and then tell me also about the pro surfing history in Israel. Well, first of all, Anat. It's a it's it's an amazing story, first of all. She's a true freak. Is she? She is she's a very driven person. She's very talented. She's very serious for her age. And she did the unbelievable. First of all, you know, putting putting the Israeli surf scene and the European QS professional scene she won you know i remember she won the contest uh, i think it was a 3000 in anglet it was unbelievable an israeli surfer won a QS in europe it was yeah how, how we couldn't believe it but it happened and um she's very at the moment she's in california and uh, she's rehabilitating because she had a very serious injury did she sustain it while surfing um while surfing yeah it's like it's a torn it's a torn muscle basically okay. an internal torn muscle that she had to go through an interesting a very serious uh, procedure in Israel and then she went to recover in California and trained there how old is she i think she'd be 21 almost okay. 21 now yeah okay she's very strong physically and her backside whip is something i wouldn't be able to do myself she has her backside technique is unbelievable but she's very very driven she and she comes from a very supportive family and beyond that in 
she was very lucky to have a few sponsors to back her up and not surf sponsors because the surf industry here doesn't have, you know, you know how much money a surfer needs to go throughout the QS grind. Yeah. It's endless. Yeah. So um, she had a lot of luck, but she was also very serious and she believed and she had a lot of backup. And basically her real sponsors were parents. They put her through, through, through these contests. Her dad and mom are amazing. And also her little sister, Noah, she is a star also. Very talented, sweetheart, surfs amazing. I don't know if she wants to be a professional. She surfs great and she's like on the other fun-loving side of surfing, you know? But she's, she competes and has fun. But Anat um, is driving. Anat wants to be on the CT. Is Anat the first professional surfer out of Israel, would you say? Okay. So let's go back. The first professional surfer that competed in the, in the let's say, the WQS and in the ASP days, it was Adig Luska at the end of the 90s, if you know the name. I don't, know. Yeah, so let, let's go back to how, let's call it, professional surfing in Israel started in 1985. My former boss, boss who got me to gotcha and started that brand I told you about, he formed the Israeli Surfing Association in 1985. In 1987, the Israeli team went out for the first uh, European Championships and got third. They, I think, France was first, England was second, Israel third, Spain fourth. The Europeans freaked out, like, where did you guys come from? You don't have waves. Yeah. And it sparked, you know, that fire to go professional. So the guys came back and they thought, okay, we're going to be professional surfers. We start, They started, you know sponsoring gazo started sponsoring surfer they start tried to send him to contests here and there in california but they returned you know didn't make a heat that's 80s and early early 90s end of the 90s a surfer named adig luska finished 16th on the qs on the epsa remember it was like a different yeah. kind of ranking back then so he was the first professional surfer and after him i think uh it was yoni klein who uh he was a professional free surfer who was have you heard of him i don't think so dr yoni klein he's top level surfer he didn't do well in contests but he's he's a world-class surfer to me yeah he surfs big safi he, he's considered to be the king of safi let's say in okay. morocco yeah. yeah surfs proper waves or all over the world made beautiful videos they were put on they were on stab surfline Pretty well known. I call him a professional surfer, but not a competitor, like a freestyle right. kind of thing. And there's the, the beautiful thing today that there's about a, a pack of 20 kids traveling in the European contests and doing a heat here and there. And I think these are the seeds, you know. And eventually, like there was a German professional surfing on tour. Maybe one day we'll have one, you know. Yeah. I mean, obviously, funding is the big limitation, but I would also imagine like culturally, it would be very difficult for parents in Israel to accept their 13 year old child's dream of being a professional surfer. Cause there's no examples in the culture to point at and be like, this person earned a living and provided for their family and all that kind of stuff, you know? hundred percent right on point. But I'll tell you, 
this was my reality because when I was a kid, this is an interesting story. <clears throat> it was my big dream. I want to be a professional surfer end of the 90s. So my dad told me, okay, you're 17 now. You're supposed to go to the army next year. I'm going to fund you a full year. I'm going to send you now, fund you a full year. If you make it, cool. If you don't, come wow. back, join the army. I told him, you got a deal. He sent me off. I went to be, I started as a guide at the Pasquid Surf Camp. And I went to surf floors here and there. And I saw Bruce and Andy and all that. So after two months, I figured, okay, it's all good. I'm not going to be a pro. I'm going back home <laughs> to the army. <laughs> so that's good. You're, you're a smart kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I let go of that dream. And, but, but my dad, till that day, didn't even, he was, he thought surfing and skateboarding was a stupid game. Right. He never, he, he never even, he really disregarded surfing and skateboarding in my life. Yeah. But rolling fast forward to today, you will not believe how many parents are supportive of their kids traveling with their, with them, um, sponsoring uh, local coaches, full-time gyms, contests, unbelievable. There, I would say there's about 15 families supporting their kids. Amazing. Sending them off to to do QS tours, yeah. sending up sending them off to be in Portugal for six months instead of going to school. Wow. Yeah, and me being a parent today, I don't know. Yeah. I, it's it's a big question mark. I don't know if I'm going to do it for my kids. Right. You know. Do um, do your kids have an interest in surfing? Yes, they do. Well, it's all around them. The fact that surfing is providing for the house and it's all over, it's a, it could be just a bit too strong and yeah, I would say um, threatening, but they like it. And I'm not trying to push them into it. I always try to arouse them. Yeah. You know, I never push them into it. They like, they go, they surf. They like um, The other limitation for professionals uh coming out of israel is or for anywhere is just what type of waves do they have around them obviously you guys are in the med mediterranean um what are the a what are the waves like in israel and then of course you have lebanon bordering you to the north egypt kind of to the south can you tra uh, cross those borders and search for waves in, in those places give me the rundown the med is the med surf kind of wave style is very short interval it's six seven, eight, nine seconds was 10 second is long interval and it's closeouts. Yeah. Okay. So it's, so it's not good for us. It's a big, you know, it happens a few times here, but it's, it's just very walled and closed out. So it's a very short, punchy, very shreddable kind of wave. Lots of beach breaks, a few good reef breaks, but short waves. They don't lack, they will not go on for, you know, we don't have point breaks that go on for a few good hundred yards, you know. But I think this gives some of the surfers a bit of advantage when you go on, when you talk about competitive kind of surfing, because, you know, how the waves are in most of the QS contests. Yeah, that's true. They're windy, not really good conditions. And that I've learned when, you know, we started hosting a QS here in Israel between 
2015 to 2019. And the, the, the WSL crew that came here, he said, they said, you know, we've been running it. The surf was consistent for 10 days. Of course, you know, it's not the level of surf you get in France, but still it's consistent. You can count on it. And it actually gathered a lot of interest and more people came to surf, more well-known surfers came. And it went on from 1,000 to 3,000. And it was supposed to go bigger, but then COVID happened. Remembers that the WSL crew and some top judges and Rob Gunning, the tour manager, and really good professionals, they said this is one of the their favorite contests to do in the QS and all over Europe. Wow. So I think we have good enough conditions to start the basic potential for a good surfer, but we don't have enough waves. Okay. Because you need to train. When you talk about training, you want to surf almost every day. You got to be out there, even if it's one foot. But there's days that it's it's flat like a lake. You talk about traveling, we cannot travel anywhere. It's dangerous to travel to Egypt. You can because we have we have peace with Egypt, but it's just written on paper. Lebanon, you cannot go. I have friends in Lebanon. They send me waves which are unbelievable. Really? And my friend, yes, my friend, beautiful point breaks, left-handers mostly. But again, again, it's the end of the Mediterranean. I would say it's pretty much the same energy. You know what I mean? Just different yeah. setups. Totally. My friend Adrian Toyon traveled there many times. He sent me amazing videos, slaps, and really nice spots. I have friends in Cyprus and Crete and Greece and Italy. We share a lot of a lot of knowledge, a lot of waves and photos all the time. Israel is the most consistent in the Mediterranean, but not the best quality of waves. Got it. Yeah. But it's fun. You talk, it's, you talk about, yeah, I mean, the waves that we see, you know, that make it to video look super shreddable and fun. Yeah. 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 Um, you talk about having peace with the local countries or not. What are the threats that you actually experience in Tel Aviv itself? Zero. Okay. Zero. Today. A, a little bit of history and like a close proximity history from the last war we had. Like it was like a one week war with Gaza, if you remember. Yeah. Just. It's when I returned from my trip in California, I think it was late April, beginning of May. They started exploding, like blasting from Gaza, thousands of rockets all over Tel Aviv. Okay, this is this is a known threat. But the fact is that the Hamas is trying to create animosity within the country, and Arabs living in Jaffa. Jaffa Jaffa is the oldest city in the area. It's a two thousand year old city. Okay, and Jaffa and Tel Aviv is one municipality. Okay, okay, it's one city basically, and they would try to. Tell them go and rob houses, demolish synagogues, and it was dangerous. It was scary. Are they targeting specific people? They were lynching. They were lynching people on the streets. When the rockets would fly out, and we're talking about eight months ago, they were demolishing synagogues, robbing people on the streets. And it was scary because it's close. It's close. 
And what was even more scary that our police couldn't control it. They wouldn't go in. Really? And they would, they did not send the army. It was a very, very complicated and, and it's different when you don't have kids and you have kids to go into, to go into the shelter with three kids and a six months year old baby. It's a feeling I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want people to, to feel. So what is, what is the actual threat? Um, do you go to work during those, during that week? Do you lock down? You mentioned having a bunker or a shelter. Is that at yeah. your house to explain? Yeah. Okay. Every house needs to have a shelter. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Underground shelter. Yeah. We, we have underground shelters on the streets as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, Israel is a 70 something year old country and it went through so many wars where we're experienced in that sense, you know, we're kind yeah. of, we're ready. It's in one sense, it's really sad, but in another, another sense, we're kind of ready for it. You know, we know what's going on or we know how to act. So did you go to work during that week? Yeah, I was working every day. I'm very lucky to be about half a mile from home so I can just okay. run. Yeah, that's one thing. But now go to back back when it was scary in the mid 90s, bus explosions on a on a standard basis in the center of Tel Aviv. Yeah. When I was a kid, student, and I think it was 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, that was the peak. Buses exploding in the heart of Tel Aviv, people dying, and you, you know, you would never know what happened. That was the so terrorist. it was but just then, random. That stopped. It, it, it was, was random. Right. Shopping malls, buses. It was very scary times different and and how present does that threat feel now or do you feel like Zero. you can actually relax okay yeah it stopped the whole the whole security system changed the army changed its approach gaza was given its own its own independence <clears throat> life changed in that sense and um what I tell people is, I remember, I remember Archie. Archie told me what back then, Israel. It's it's not scary. People are dying on the streets. I told him, brother, listen, it's safer than L.A. Trust me. Tel Aviv is the most freedom kind of lifestyle. Safe. You can hang out till the last hours of the day. Party drink, eat, and go surf in the morning. Yeah. It's hundred percent safe. Safer than so many, so many cities I've been to. Yeah. And that's no joke about LA. In certain parts of LA, Compton, Watts, stuff like that. I mean, truly police don't police. They stay out they of it unless there's something specific that they need to go. Like it's crazy. Um, and you can avoid those areas, of course. But then other parts that are heavily touristed, downtown LA, you wouldn't walk around at night in downtown LA. You're afraid to walk to your car if you're leaving. And I remember, I was like afraid. That. I was afraid when I remember staying one night in Venice, Venice Beach, end of the 90s, 90s yeah. no, 97. I was freaking out. I cannot go to the street. I wanted to get a drink. I was afraid. Venice has changed 
a lot, uh, but it's still, it's actually recently gotten uh, violent again. And what's crazy. Yeah. And what's crazy about it, I think kind of main since COVID um, police are just not policing things that they used to worry about. The homeless populations exploded. There's a lot of drug usage, but what's crazy about Venice is that there's, you know, $5 million homes right next. And then there's literally homeless people defecating on the sidewalk in front of that home and drug deals happening on the exact same street. It is so so surreal. Yeah. I have friends who live there and, you know, they live in very expensive homes and you hear gunshots outside. It's crazy. So I got to tell you in that sense, you know, put the terrorist threat on the side, petty crime, robbery. Of course we have that. Yeah. Yeah. But not in the heart of Tel Aviv, you won't, you cannot be afraid to be robbed. No, you know, no hate crimes, no sexual crimes. They do happen. Yeah. It's, it's not that we live in paradise, but it's, I'd say completely safe, completely safe. Tell me about, uh, surfing for peace. Uh, Okay. 2004 doc comes to Israel on one of his trips. Oh, yeah, it was uh, to shoot Surfwise. Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, and I was very fortunate to be a part of that production while while it was in Israel. So Doc tells me, Arthur, I want you to introduce to me an Arab surfer. So I told him, I introduced him to a guy I surf with. His name is Abdallah in Jaffa. So I introduced him to the guy. Doc comes to him, like, have you ever met Doc? No. Yeah, so it's, he's, you know, it's that generation that has that drama, that seriousness about him, that awe. He comes to Abdallah and tells him, here is a board for you. You're going to be the father of Arab surfing. So he says, okay, yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. So we just started a little circle of love between the three of us. Doc sent more boards for me to give to Abdallah and him to support the local kids in Jaffa to get them out of the streets, to push them into surfing. And so he did. 2007, Doc reads an article in LA Times about two surfers in Gaza and the title was Surf to Forget. On the cover, you see the two guys with one Israeli board probably left by the army, by a soldier. I don't know how it's how it stays there. Doc calls me. He says, Arthur, I'm coming in a few days' time to Israel. Get as many boards as you can. We're going to Gaza. I told him, okay, I'm on it. So I gathered, I gathered 14 boards from the local shapers. And Doc came. And he had a connection to a person that, a very well-known person that promised him that he would be able to go in through the Erez crossing into the lobby in Gaza, where you pass into Gaza, and meet those two guys. That promise didn't really happen. So we got there with the boards, and nobody was waiting for us. But the two guys, we, we actually did get in touch with these two guys from the article. They were waiting for us on the other side. 
Okay. Doc came with his son, David. We brought the boards. My brother joined me. There was some, uh, there were some, I remember Reuters news agency was there. There was an art, uh, there was a reporter, I think from New York times. And doc persuaded the guard with his own words to get in there. Wow. Seriously. We were there for about four hours. We thought we were going to just not me. I cannot go in. He was supposed to go in. Okay. Doc comes in with a, I don't know if you remember the photos. He, him and David came in with the promise that Kelly would be a part of this. Okay. They came in with a Kelly's uh, SK8. Kelly, remember, it was his eighth world title, so they made the eight. Both of them with the two t-shirts. They went in. Finally, with, they gave us trolleys. They gave trolleys. They loaded the boards on the trolleys. They went into the lobby. They come out shirtless after and victorious. Yeah. And then it exploded. And we called it Surfing for Peace. We just sent 14 boards to the guys there. And that day, it just exploded all over the news. It was like a big deal. If you write Surfing for Peace today, will you get 10,000, 15,000 results? Every kind of news agency was on it. People got to my phone from Turkey, from Indonesia, from Costa Rica. Like, I didn't know how they got my phone. News reporters from all over the world. People were really excited about what we did. But then it sparked some serious, beautiful ideas. And so the first project, the first real project that sparked, you know, Surfing for Peace into a real motion, it was a student named Sev Schalkopper in UCLA. He had a project called Gaza Surf Relief when he had donated goods from, from Jack's surfboards, like 30 beautiful brand new fun boards, mini Malibus, loads of clothing, like surf clothes, like unbelievable. But he got stuck with it. How is he going to send it to Gaza? And he found us as an, as a, as an address. Because he was stuck with the goods. By the time he donated everything, he didn't know what to do with it because he couldn't send it into Gaza. Right. It was impossible. So that was the first project. The second project was um, my friend who read about it, Alex Klein, a famous skater in San Francisco who I hosted a few years back. He said he wanted to do a movie about this. So straight away we had the project and a guy wants to make a movie about the board and how we're going to move them in again to Gaza because it was still impossible. Because what happened with Doc, it was a miracle when you persuaded the guard to go in there and give the guys boards. That's not going to happen. The last most important thing that my good friend Matthew Olson, who was living in Israel, he was the son of the number two in the American embassy in Israel. He called me and said, Arthur, I know everyone in Gaza. I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to distribute the boards. I'm going to meet the guys. I'm going to go in there. So all of a sudden, it turned into something that could be actually happening. So that guy sent the boards to Israel. Matt, with his contacts through the UN and his local contacts in Gaza, managed to move these 30 boards into Gaza, all the clothing, and it propelled into something that created more interest and more donations. And people just got excited about what we do. And we did surf. We did, since then, we did surf trips. 
with mixed communities of Arabs from Algeria, Tunisia, Israel, Morocco, to Morocco, to Brazil, to, uh, where were we? We did France twice. I support local surfers in Arab villages in Israel. It's a love story. It's beautiful. This day. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with money. We're not registered. Well, it is registered in Europe because I have partners in Europe who help with donations and stuff sometimes. But it's, you know, we have nothing to do with any economic value. It's just right. sending goods to friends and sharing it's the experience. It's fascinating. I would love to see what that surf culture looks like. Watch God went surfing with the devil. Please. Is Please it available watch it. on YouTube or where can I find it? I'll, I'll look up for the link, but it, it was on Netflix back like six, seven years ago, I remember. I'll, I'll find you the link. Okay. And the, the name is when Doc was standing in front of the, Aras, the crossing in Gaza, he told the, uh, he told the reporter, if the waves are good, God will surf with the devil. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I read, it was an interview with you somewhere talking about how the waves are always good whenever there's civil unrest in Israel. Do you remember saying that? Or is that true? So true. Unbelievably true. Really? I remember... You know what? I'll send you. I'll, I'll send you later on a video. I'll send you a proof, a living proof. I made. I. I also managed the surf surf team of Vans in Israel. Oh yeah, yeah. And we did a video called "Barrels and Rockets." Seriously, those days, rockets were shooting above us. I'm not joking. And the you'll see the surf. You'll tell me if it's good enough. I'll say. So what, I'll send you the link. How, what do you attribute that to? <laughs> I don't know. Well, same as COVID. You know what? When there's unrest, the only cue we have is just that we can go out and enjoy the pure surf. And again, in COVID, from March, I never experienced such a period where it would be nonstop, especially summertime. Summertime, the waves are okay. One, two, three feet. Occasional four-foot sets and swells for like two days. June, July, August, September. We had we were on a surf trip. We had two pulses every week of three to four foot surf. It was just wow. We don't need to go anywhere. It's fun. Yeah. And same during the wars. I always remember during when 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 the rockets are above us, we're in the water. And I gotta tell you, it's it's a real rush when the sirens go off and you paddle into a wave. It. I'm not joking. It's crazy. That is bizarre. What a weird. It's a rush. What a weird concept. It's uh, you know, you Charlie don't surf. Remember, uh, I yeah. have a movie, Apocalypse, Apocalypse Now. We lived it, was, it many times. Yeah. Uh, do you remember? There's images from 9/11 with the twin towers, um, on that day in New Jersey, and I think New York too. The waves were pumping. There's imagery of kind of that. No uh, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's imagery of the chaos with guys just getting shacked and barrels you know so it's weird the well, way that works it's uh you know you put a question out there yeah <laughs> it's i don't i don't want to claim to know the answer but um it might be related to, to the whole yeah there's something to it and it's kind of related to the whole clinica uh concept you know 
<laughs> got to have need, to agree. You need healing. <laughs> um, I agree, and we were lucky enough to, you know, to uh, the surfers at least, yeah, yeah, to have that getaway. Um, and I, I got to tell you a little story. I got yeah, COVID please. times. A funny joke is through COVID times, you know, in the beginnings, they didn't let anyone go. We had to run. Cops were chasing us. Da 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 da. Everybody knows, you know, that's how it was everywhere, right? So finally, there was a very, there was a very, very famous swell when helicopters were chasing this one surfer. The whole, of, it was all over the news here. The whole of the country saw it. It got to the government and they said, are you guys crazy? Let them go surfing. They're not harming anyone. The day after we got, we got allowed to go surf. Okay. So my shop, when I would open my shop, people would come to me. They don't surf. You said, you have to, something cheap that I just can hold on to and be on the beach? Wow. Like every hour, five to ten people would pass and ask the same question. That's insane. So you sell Boogie boards, relax? like any, any, anything that floats, just sell me. Wow. That is so incredible. Bravo <laughs> for your government, uh, to your government for acknowledging the absurdity of not letting people surf during COVID. It was, but it took time, yeah? It took yeah. a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. Chase one surfer and jet skis. It was a, it was surreal. And was at Hilton um, Beach, our home break. Yeah. So what are your, how is Clinica doing as a business and what are your ambitions? Where would you like to see Clinica in five years from now? Well, um, um, I, I have to say I, I'm living a dream. I'll never believe. And this is another joke when my former boss, we were sitting, me, him, Matt Griggs, Mick Fanning, Taylor Knox, Glenn Hall, and Richard Mars at a beautiful dinner at Hotel de Palais in Biarritz. After dinner, my boss tells me, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be opening a shop in Tel Aviv. I'm like, are you joking me? We just had the most amazing dinner with these insane heroes. And you want to send me back to Tel Aviv to open a surf shop? He told me, you'll see. That's what you're going to do. I'm still a small shop and I'm, I'm very, very happy where I am. I actually, people always talk, you know, people talk about expanding, you know, the big capitalistic dream and doing a chain and all that. I'm very, very happy where I am. And I just want to keep going as I am slowly, surely at a normal growth level. And I don't want to grow too much because I like that elasticity where I run my own business. I'm a one man show, hopefully having one worker, not more to just be a bit more free to for myself and for my family and just a bit more than what I can do. That sounds just achievable. Yes. I want to be very realistic because even now it's, it's seriously beyond a dream come true. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, dream that big. And I, I don't think, you know, eventually it's the surf business. I, I don't want to be that industrial guy with millions of boards. And I, I want to give my, my clients, I call them the patients. Yep. That very, very special feeling. Yeah. And they tell me that, you know, there's a very certain experience when we come to buy even a bar of wax at the shop. There's a story yeah. behind everything. You know, I had to wait, you know, those... The, 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 the cream by Robbie Page, you know, everyone I tell, every person I tell, you want to hear about cream? 
It's the guy from the North Shore. It's a pipeline master. It's Robbie Pace. Da, da, da. You know, I love telling the story. I love keeping the heritage alive. This is why I brought, first of all, I started the Astro Deck. You know, for me, it's the most, one of the most important products ever made in the surfing industry. And of course, the story of the Fletcher family and Wave Warriors. It's really, really important for me, not just being a business that sells product. It's yeah. way beyond that for me. And it was the last thing for me to do is sell product. I was always around the content, doing the productions, the events, commentating, organizing, you know, doing surf for peace. Um, fighting you know the environmental fights in local beaches this was the last resort for me because eventually i had to provide yeah exactly you know um well final question for everybody is about the last surfboard that you rode you have access to some of the greatest shapers and you bring in the best surfboards so what do you ride currently oh wow well it's a very very we're looking here at this is wow that's an unconventional board oh there's another one <laughs> so let's say uh, maybe not one but two okay okay yeah let's hear it well the, i gotta say that the disassim in varial i'll show it to you the disassim this beautiful asymmetric by Matt Parker is just the easiest, still going vertical, quick, changes rail to rail in all types of conditions. And this is, I think this is my main mantra in surfing in Israel. When I tell, the, when I tell guys, you have to have the right board for the right conditions. The fact that you're watching surf movies and surfborn and all these contests and what everybody does it doesn't mean necessarily mean it's going to be right for our weak waves. You right. have to match it for your weight, for your level, and for the crappy waves we're riding. So this would be my go-to when the waves get better. And my happy pill is this beautiful dock 6-4 channel bottom twin fin with wooden fins made by my friend Prima in Israel. And I'm, I'm having, when I want to have fun and not worry too much and not be that serious and do a radical modern surfing and just enjoy a fun rail game and just catch everywhere if I want, I take this beautiful beast out. It's 6'4 at 34 liters. And every time I ride it, it happens that I do, I, I get back home and I call Doc and tell him thank you because it's a true happy pill. It just provides me happiness, you know? I'm having fun and today surfing has become so professional. A surfer that started surfing three years ago comes in and tells me, so what's, what's the volume? What's the foam? What's this and what's that? And when we grew up, I would go to the shaper and he says, what's your size? Okay, I'll get you aboard in two weeks, bye. Yeah. You remember those days, right? That's how yeah. it was. So, you know, my world is between the super technical aspects and between having pure fun as we had in the older days, you know? Yeah. So these are just two boards out of so many amazing boards I have from Fordell. A short board, you know, I love short boards, but it's 
like the last thing that at the moment I think also shortboards in Israel like a thruster it's it's a, it, usually a thruster drags you in the waves here it drags yeah until there's no real power behind you it's hard to move the board so you better use a little quad or a hybrid or a twin fin or an asymmetrical board it just moves rail to rail easier yeah but it, this is this is still of a novelty for surfers in Israel maybe 10 guys ride a, an asymmetrical board in Israel yeah it's still and a novelty was, here too but um i've been following it since you know of course since Ryan Birch emerged with that insane video in Gland that really got me i was shocked Yeah. And um, of course, the legend of Carl Ekstrom. And I was I was I loved meeting him back then at the, at the boardroom show when I was there. Such a legend. And um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm truly excited about what's going on today, how people revisit the idea of the twin fin and putting all those elements, you know, from the old days and from, you know, the newer knowledge of, you know, the concaves and the rockers implement, implementing those in a, in a in smaller chunks of foam. And uh, I truly think that uh, the Twinsman, the Twinsman, that specific board, it holds 50 years of shape knowledge. The rocker, the thickness, you know, the, the fin placement, and of course, a very special touch by, by Matt Parker. I think he really made a big difference. People still don't understand. Yeah, I agree. Well, ending on the happy pill prescribed by surf prescriptions at Clinica is a very full circle <laughs> moment. Um, I know you got family to get back to. I've got to get back to baby duties here. Of Thank course. you for taking time at the end of a super busy day to do this. David, I'm, I couldn't be more honored. It's beautiful, really. And I hope to meet you when I'm, when I'm in California. I hope to come to Israel. Oh, please. Just yeah. Matt wants to come. Matt okay. said he really wants to come and promise you the best tour possible. Yeah, no, I'll talk to Matt. If he actually schedules a trip, I'll do everything I can to join in. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, but yeah, in California, reach out next time you're coming. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> David, I'm, I'm, I can't be more thankful. I'm very awesome. stoked on this. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going to send you some links for the movie and Please. from surfing during the war. You'll see I'd some I'd love stuff. to see that stuff. All right. Sweet. Thanks, Arthur. Epic is Arthur. Arthur, thank you so much. He's humble, he's gracious, he's unbelievably kind, and uh, it's just really cool to see a burgeoning surf culture 
that's small, that's fervent, and um, the older I get, the more I think about surf travel, I want to have cultural experiences, you know, less focus on the waves themselves, and um, Israel just really has moved high up my list after this conversation with Arthur. So I will definitely come visit at some point in the future. Thank you so much, Arthur. Thanks for sharing this with everybody. And thanks for being such a great steward for brands like Cordell, Doc, of course, Album Surfboards, a lot of our friends here locally. Epic to see the treatment that you're giving them in such an awesome place. So thanks for that. Everybody go follow Clinica and Arthur on Instagram. I'll link to it on surfsplendorpodcast.com, as well as post a few videos of the surfing that's taking place there out in front of Clinica. The waves actually look super fun, so um, it's kind of enticing, actually. All right, thank you so much. We've got new episodes of Spit and the Grit this week. And, of course, we'll be back next week with an all-new roster of all of these things, new episodes, and we'll be back here on Surf Splendor midweek. Thank you for listening. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I'm encouraging you to get back into the ocean, share a couple of waves, and, of course, shred on. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.